0: welcome to the coda music podcast and the perfect end to your week i'm brian hasty and with me is the mega to my death the five seconds to my summer rob Kristofferson. rob how are you
1: Brian, I gotta admit, um, I'm podcasting injured, I cut my thumb while chopping some onions yesterday, so I'm hurting a little bit, but you know what? This podcast is too important to let some wound like that stop me.
0: Let us use our words to heal your body. Yeah. Uh, That is probably the creepiest sentence I've probably said, like, all week, too. (laughs)
1: That's, dude, that's so holistic of you. So holistic.
0: <laughs> I'm I'm going to be mailing my crystals to you for uh, for safekeeping.
1: I can't wait to let your quartz just overcome me and and just change my aura immediately.
0: Okay, so here's the plan we <laughs> we start an offshoot podcast. It's just ASMR where we describe healing each other every week in different ways.
1: Shit, that is like podcast gold. We're gonna be rolling in the dough.
0: It's gonna be like a twelve part podcast, like you know, like a season's worth of like just really whole, like wholesome descriptions of like how we wish we could heal each other.
1: Yep, yeah, friendship podcast that you've ever heard in your life.
0: <laughs> Either that, or everyone's gonna get in like like a minute and a half, and then realize this is like what like a forty five minute podcast, <laughs> yeah. and probably turn it off. So
1: it is, but but
0: you know what? We're ambitious as fuck, Brian. We're ambitious as fuck. Absolutely. Let's yeah. Let's just start three yeah. or four podcasts. See where yeah. this goes. It's like a shell game. Uh, so first things first. Something we'd like to talk about is we'd like to take a moment to honor um, a fallen feline who meant a lot to, to both of us. Right. So now a lot of internet folks uh, hit meme status, but few are able to turn them into a career of doing good. Uh, for various communities. And recently, unfortunately, we lost the feline little Bub, who came to prominence earlier this decade through a series of viral videos as well as photos. And she'd has been born; uh, she been born with several genetic mutations, which led to her um, unique appearance. So in her lifetime and through many different initiatives, including a lot of pet and greets, Bub has been able to raise over a half million dollars for animal shelters. Now, Rob, you and I shared a moment, uh, a very honest and earnest moment on Twitter, actually, about this uh, when it happened.
1: I feel like this is the moment where we're still recovering from the loss of, like, Leonard Cohen, David Bowie, and Prince all at the same time, and then this
0: happened. Like, like, what the hell? Seriously. And then you, uh, you went to what, like a grocery store or like a like a corner store, and you had uh, uh, Little Bub merch sort of in your face, or sorry, like Little Bub sponsored um, a merch.
1: Yeah, I went to my local convenience store. We call them. Stewart shops around here and uh yeah it was right there and i'm like god damn it i'm gonna ball in this store right now you
0: sons of bitches seriously um so all that to say just a quick note like thanks a lot bub for everything and then even in her death she's still earning a lot um over the past couple weeks for um different animal shelters and stuff so i think that's really cool a lot of people you know hit internet theme become dickheads right so
1: yeah no little bub wholesome the whole time good job bub
0: yeah. <laughs> um so let's get into some music news, as is the namesake of this podcast. hmm Uh the first thing is that last episode we were making jokes about title, right? Uh as though it seems uh we may not have been that far off the mark as it turns out. Um so Jay-Z had previously pulled off his discography from Spotify about two years ago, and on the morning of December 4th, which is his birthday, his albums reappeared.
1: Amazing. Just a magic trick. Woo. Oh god.
0: I'm signaling Angelo with this. Damn it. <laughs> <laughs> don't do that why, why? <sighs> whatever um so originally there seems to be the notion of jay taking out his catalog off of spotify due to issues he probably had with how the streaming giant was compensating him so either the reached consensus or jay realized he was missing uh, you know a revenue stream because his catalog had never um gone down on the competitor apple music right right well, so it's it just like,
1: uh, it was pulled off for I think for like a couple months, and then he's like, yeah, yeah, you can have it back,
0: very, very briefly, yeah. Yeah. So, um, you know, it's just it's kind of surprising, uh, but not at the same time. I like making money. You like making money. So of course, why would you cut yourself off from that?
1: Yeah, but does he really, honestly need that money? He's what, like a billionaire now. He's yeah. almost a billionaire, sir. So if he hasn't already, here
0: let's let's use the internet, Z billionaire,
1: right? Jay billionaire dot com. Yep,
0: there we go. From Forbes, June 3rd, 2019, artist, icon, billionaire, how Jay-Z created his billion dollar fortune.
1: Yeah, so I don't think he needs it for the revenue stream. It just doesn't seem likely to me.
0: I, okay, so asterisk with this, because I'm going to get into some political philosophy, right? But the idea of, you know, a class consciousness, and the idea of uh, uh, continuing to earn, continuing to be the 1%, you got to keep earning for that, right? So I feel like perhaps uh, th- there's that mentality, because I believe you and I, I agree with you in that, practically speaking. Uh, after a Billy, you don't really need much more, right?
1: No, and maybe, you know, on his birthday, he wanted everybody to be able to tune in the motherfucking greatest, you know? So w- do you have a favorite Jeezy song? You know, I really don't. I have not explored Jay-Z's catalog enough. Like okay. I, The first Jay-Z album I bought was The Blueprint, and that's only because we had these department stores back in the day. They were called Ames department stores. And I used to work in the electronics section, and somebody was like, hey, you should check out that Jay-Z album. So I bought that Jay-Z album. It was pretty good. I don't remember a thing good. about it. I don't, I, uh, I, I don't remember a damn thing
0: about it. So uh, as we established in episode one, I enjoy New Metal, right? So uh, yes. if you take a look at the credits for the uh, uh, first track, right, of uh, the Blueprint, when, and I'm vamping right now because I, I want to open this up before I forget it. So uh, track one is called The Ruler's Back, right? Yeah. And then it goes into Takeover. And yeah. uh, interestingly enough, if you take a look, right, so there's a, a door sample, but it is uh, interpolated by uh, Josie Scott of Saliva. Hot damn. That's uh <laughs> that's uh, cutting it deep right there. Um There you go. Keep Ryan, it in your back pocket.
1: How upset are you gonna be that Jay Z's top tracks on Spotify on his main page will not be from Collision Course anymore? <laughs>
0: <laughs> I will learn how to survive somehow, some way. I was talking to a coworker about that because she was telling me I'm 33, she's twenty-seven. She was talking about how collision course united her high school because the jocks and the preps and the nerds all uh salivated over the EP and like became uh friendlier people. Okay,
1: yeah, I can I could see that.
0: I mean like this is definitely not the case, uh uh, you know, uh in my tenure, uh, you know, I was in uh I was in college when this happened, but you know. <laughs> so be it. Yeah,
1: so like here's my question. Do you think Jay-Z is taking the revenue that he gets from Apple Music and Spotify and he just fuddles it back into title? How hilarious would
0: that be? I actually would not be surprised that they're trying to prop up an ailing title because it's all about like an image, right? So the idea of uh, a successful venture that has gone on probably like what, like a year and a half too long, let's say, Um, you know, uh, needs to sustain itself uh, for as long as possible. So maybe it's just it's either greed or the desire to keep your empire moving.
1: But, you know, at the same time, like just because you're around long enough doesn't mean that you're going to do anything, gain popularity all of a sudden, unless you do something. So, somebody needs to pitch ideas to Jay-Z for title. Maybe drop that price a little bit, buddy. But <laughs> I, I don't think that you're going to be able to pay artists a good enough amount of money on that, because nobody nobody wants it. But so, I, I've got a little game for you, Brian. Oh, no. Okay, hit me with this. <laughs> so, I want you to give me the top five artists that are still not on Spotify.
0: It, it, you know, we're inspired <sighs> here. Oh, man. Uh, I was going to see The Beatles, but that got rectified. That did get um, rectified, yep. Garth Brooks? Garth right? Brooks That's is one. one of them, yep. Um, shoot. <laughs> oh, uh, uh, Um. A- Aaliyah. Yep, that's number two. And that's only because I saw a Hip Hop DX uh, tweet about that uh, earlier this week about how this might be rectified by the end of the year. Okay. Uh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Garth Brooks and Leah is all I got, man.
1: Okay, so uh, number three, Joanna
0: Newsom. Oh, okay.
1: Yeah, it's not somebody maybe you'd think of uh, f- first choice here, but number four, Dr. Dre. Really? Yeah, there's only, I think. A few cuts from, like, this 2001 album, and that's it. Whoa, okay. Yeah, and I think they're, like, demo cuts. I don't think they're, like, the main
0: features. Clearly, I am the biggest Dr. Dre stan alive, knowing this. <laughs> uh, and number five, De La Soul. Hey, that, whoa, okay, that's another interesting one. Yeah. Okay. Um, uh, kind of a wide cross, like, with Joanna Newsome, squarely in the middle. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, do you think Garth is going to hold out forever?
1: With Garth, it's has to do with that Amazon deal that he signed. I don't know right. how long that deal is going to last, but I think Garth doesn't really care because I think he's he understands that he's struggling to bring in like a younger audience through the music that he's putting out. And right. not only that, but if you look at the hot country chart right now, Garth Brooks isn't hasn't broken into, like, the top 20 with his latest song
0: called Dive Bar with Blake Shelton. but uh Which is surprising, because Blake Shelton's had a pretty good year single-wise, right? So you think that he'd be able to elevate him. You would think so, but the problem is, is
1: that because it's Garth Brooks' song, it's not on the of major course. streaming platforms, it's not on Apple Music, it's not on Spotify, it's not on the platforms that matter, basically. Yeah.
0: <laughs> uh, that is a very good point that, uh, yeah, he's, uh, limiting himself and that's fine. If that's the decision um, he's made to go to the Amazon for, for that amount of time, you know, we'll see how that plays out. I guess we'll reevaluate in a couple of years when it expires um, and see if he even gives a shit, right? Like, I, I don't even know if he cares all that much.
1: You're talking about a guy who, uh, for a long time now, when he decides he wants to release new albums, he, he overdoes it and does a box set like Garth buddy. We've had enough of these damn box sets. You can stop now.
0: It's true. It's true. Is the Chris Gaines album on Spotify? No, it is not. Okay, it is not. Okay, that's what I thought. So I was just thinking maybe it'd be funny if he he decided to like revisit his alter ego and like really just service all of the streaming um you know platforms with his Chris Gaines content just slowly but surely. I need him to go all in on this.
1: I really <laughs> yeah. need him. I want him to reinvent Chris Gaines in a more successful light. It's just, time. It's time. It, it's time. It's been what almost 20? It's it's been like twenty it's been years. Twenty years. Yeah.
0: yeah. Given it's the era of the internet, you can uh, you know fake anonymity for a long time here, right? Versus like everyone kind of figured it out as the album rolled out. What was happening? Yep. Can uh, you think of another artist who's tried like such a, uh, a bait and switch? Um, not really. I think I mean you can always feel free to cut this question. I'm just asking off the top of my head because I'm trying <clears> to think of myself. You know, so
1: not that I can think of. Uh, uh, I mean, you just have albums that tanked like Glitter Holy god!
0: (laughs) funnily enough Glitter Blueprint came out on the same day pretty much right do you believe so yes hold on Uh, yeah I do believe uh, Glitter did come out uh, September 11th yep September 11th 2001 same day as The Blueprint
1: same day as The Blueprint same day as Silver Side Up same day as Southern Rock Opera by the Drive-By Truckers
0: same day (laughs) as uh, God Hates Us All by Slayer arguably one of the uh, most underrated Slayer albums and I'm gonna do a three hour discussion about that with you someday Uh, deal with it
1: I look forward to it
0: So let's continue to talk about youth culture, uh, because that is apparently a thread we're doing when we talk about, you know, title, et cetera. Uh, Let's talk about TikTok. Are we honestly young enough to talk about youth culture? Uh, I mean, we can talk about how we perceive youth culture, right? Like I'm not actively involved in TikToking. I don't know if you are.
1: I don't know if that would help my brand, but if it would, I do it in a heartbeat.
0: (laughs) I'm so looking forward to, to this. So I would like to read very quickly from a Rolling Stone article, um, just briefly summarizing how uh, uh, some people can come to prominence on TikTok, though this is very much like an asterisk to uh, a lot of the teen stars that used to be on Vine have now transitioned over, as well as a new crop of like fresh-faced young people uh, giving us uh, the content we want. Right, So TikTok, per Rolling Stone, earlier this year, Leanne Bailey spent an entire day making 100 cookies for a birthday party, and she was paid $300 for her efforts. Later that week, she went on the app TikTok, which allows users to make 15-second videos set to music and created a pair of cookie decorating posts under the name The Bailey Bakery. She netted $1,000. She's a 40-plus-year-old lady from Kentucky. She has four kids, and TikTok videos are helping to financially support her, says Devin Dularamani, an intern at Arista Records, who also manages Bailey, along with 20... uh, TikTok users who reach a combined 70 million audience on the side. Bailey Leone has over 4 million fans. Now, this is the most 2019 sentence I think I've said all year.
1: Yeah, you're talking about people on a app that are represented by our uh, Arista? No. Stop. Stop this. <laughs> all right, let's pump the goddamn brakes here for a second. You're telling me that an app was so successful in its first year that it now represents 20 damn people. What the hell?
0: So, uh, per the other CNN article that are in the show notes, uh, TikTok users spent a record $10.8 million within the app in June 2019, with U.S. users uh, accounting for more than 20% of in-app purchases, according to Daniel Alex firm, Sensor Tower. So, um, keep in mind that this, was, uh, this is a Chinese app, right? So, uh, mm-hmm. the growth cycle in there was first native and then international, right? Um, kind of insane. Um, and now they're poised, uh, and there's been talk about how uh, there's a recent Financial Times article coming out about how they may actually launch their own streaming service soon.
1: Yeah, yay. We need we need another one. Like that's probably gonna be the most insufferable streaming yes, service yet. Yeah. <laughs>
0: um and you know, this is us uh you know, from our rocking chairs uh pointing uh our canes. I'm old, I have lower back
1: pain. Leave me alone.
0: <laughs> so what you're saying is for Christmas you do not want a potential theoretical TikTok streaming service um gift certificate.
1: No, I need copper fit all the way. <laughs>
0: Um, Let me see what I can uh, do for you. But yeah, it's this really interesting thing because TikTok really does skew younger, right? And where I just start naming a lot of the the stars there, if I could pull up a list, uh, we would both kind of go quiet for a while, I think.
1: Yeah, I'm clueless because, like, they are an app. But the thing is, is, like, if you compare them to, like, YouTube, you could definitely name more YouTubers, then you can tick talkers. Is that what they call them? I don't even let's go with that. I, yeah. Yeah. It's still a new app. So they need to find ways to appeal to different demographics. Cause I mean, their demographic is probably like teenager all the way yeah. up to 25.
0: So let's say the sweet spot is like 14, 18, I think. Yeah. I, and I, I don't like using the word sweet spot with teenagers, but here we are.
1: Yeah, I mean, they have data Datamine, like, 13-year-olds, so...
0: Right, yes, exactly. Um, you know, and TikTok was formerly uh, Music.ly, or Musical.ly, right, which was uh, a, a service in which you uh, basically post lip-sync videos of yourself, and there were a lot of uh, licensing issues, so um, TikTok had purchased that, mainly for its, like, user base, from what I understand, and so, like, um, you know, here we are, 2019, talking about TikTok and how it's gonna maybe launch a streaming service next year. Who knows what that looks like? Um, though it is clear that you and I will not be uh, giving it a test run, unless we are forced to... Some weird scheme. Mm.
1: Can I make money by twerking on this app?
0: You know what? Let's post (laughs) when this episode comes out, we'll post a Twitter thread here and uh, maybe put a poll in, I guess.
1: You know, that's a good idea. I think I think we should get uh, the consensus of our listeners. We need to know. Will I make money twerking on the TikTok (laughs) app?
0: Got (laughs) to know i like how we had like a, a stated mission of like oh let's talk about music and now suddenly episode two already devolved into like can a rob twerk for cash everyone let's get into this 2020 the real question is can rob twerk at all i don't know yet
1: that's the honest is truth. this a
0: challenge we're issuing is this the coda challenge <laughs> the coda challenge to anyone listening out there can you like we don't need proof we just want to know whether or not you can twerk hit us up the coda podcast on twitter <laughs> we'll ch- um, we're taking bets now we're taking bets <laughs> Let us let us uh, move to the calmer, um, uh, quieter seas. So we have our first piece of electronic mail here, and it's from Angelo, my co-host on the Double Density Podcast, who never leaves me alone. And uh, Robin <laughs> reads as follows: "Hello, Coda Casters, are you album people or playlist people? Is the playlist the death of the best-of album? Also, how does one tell a friend that keeps pushing Scandinavian death metal on one that one much prefers the Scandinavian pop of Sigrid and Aurora?" So first things first, I think Coda Casters has a nice ring to it. So thank you for the free nickname, Angelo. Let's start with that, right? We can agree yeah definitely secondly i'm going to ignore this comment about death metal because obviously it is a superior uh you know musical genre that you refuse to listen to angela and that is fine but i want to get to the crux of the matter which is album versus playlist right so rob i'm gonna bet you're going to say you're an album guy mostly and here's why you know in our you know as our friendship has developed you strike me as the kind of guy who believes in the integrity of a project and someone who loves to contextualize uh what they're listening to and so now that i've prejudiced our audience towards your viewpoint the floor is yours <laughs>
1: There is no real reason why anybody needs to put out a Best Of album anymore. The Best Of album solely relied on physical media. There was no other reason to own a Best Of album unless you had a tape that you could play in the car, you had a CD that you could play in the car. If you somehow had a turntable in your car and you could listen to it, <laughs> physical media was there for you.
0: But Please ride along with us then.
1: Yeah, but in this age... We don't need them anymore, and while I am an album guy, just because that was, like, the path I took when I was a teenager, I'm going to listen to this thing the whole way through, and I'm going to get more out of it, because I listened to it. Some albums, I did not. Mainly, Limp Bizkit, but Ugh. we're going to move past that for a moment. I know you're a little upset, I'm little, uh, but I will deal. But, one, two, one, two, what the fuck you going to do?
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, so, Rob, I want to throw out a, a sort of, like, sentence, and I want you to think about it for a second, okay? Yeah. Uh, I believe that playlists are for moods, and albums are for experiences. You know, that's fair. That is, that is fair. I'm
1: emotionally inspired, usually, when I make a playlist, or if it's a, for a functional thing, like the playlist I made for our first episode. Definitely. Hint,
0: hint, wink, wink, nudge, nudge.
1: Yeah, except for I have veered into specific artist playlists and focusing on their singles. Like I've done Dirk Bentley. Now I've done Jason Aldean and I've done Brad Paisley. I don't mm, need a, I don't need a, I don't need a greatest hits album. No, but no. if the artist can bring something different to the table, like Brad Paisley, he included live cuts with his best of album. That's great. So did Dave Matthews band, although Dave Matthews band doesn't really need a best of album. They did. But, okay. Include those live cuts. Great.
0: (laughs) Bring them on, yeah. Yeah, I'll take them. I'll take them. I I think you make a really interesting point in that, like, when people used to be locked down to where they could access music and how they could access music, um, Best Dubs made a lot more sense than they do now, where we have the internet sort of, like, around us, right? At, At all times, everywhere.
1: Yeah. Yeah, 100%. And, I mean, we also have to acknowledge that the greatest selling album of all time is a greatest hits album. Surprise. Yeah. And the truth of the matter is, is, like, I don't think there's another one like it in the top ten. Maybe Journey, Journey's Greatest Hits, and yeah. Journey's Greatest Hits is not the number one best-selling album of all time. Brian, do you know what the number one best-selling album of all time is?
0: I want to say Thriller, but it's not.
1: It's it's it's, it's tie. It's it generally ties with Thriller. This album that that I'm talking about. Oh,
0: is it Saturday Night Fever? <laughs>
1: No, it's uh, oh. The Eagle's Greatest Hits, 74 oh, to 76, I think.
0: Of course. Yeah. How could yeah. I have screwed that up?
1: <laughs> but it regularly goes back and forth with Thriller as the best-selling album of all time. But in the last few years, I've seen The Eagle's Greatest Hits just like solidify that spot. So. Rob,
0: you could have said Soar. I
1: know, but... I, I said- <laughs>
0: So uh, here's a larger discussion that I think we'll save for another episode, but I kind of want to get into it now. Um, uh, Quantity equals quality. And I used to, uh, believe me, I can't believe I'm about to say this, but I used to visit a new metal uh, and uh, like metal and hardcore uh, forum, the PRP, the Pimp Rock Palace. And uh, there was this thread about how someone was defending the dark side of the moon as one of the best albums of all time, just based on the fact that it sold so much. So therefore, so many people liked it. But he wasn't understanding the objective nature in which one can like look at art necessarily. He just thought so many people liked it. Uh, Dark Side of the Moon, uh, best album of all time, just due to the fact that people have bought so much of it. <laughs> that's where we're at.
1: That's that's where we're at right now. Um, that is the worst argument I- <laughs> that I've ever fucking heard.
0: <laughs> Listen, I'm just I'm just summarizing what happened, right? I'm just summarizing the argument. I didn't join in. I was just passively watching, right? So you were just passively watching. Yes, you I were, wasn't. Uh... You were stalking. <laughs> Yes, I was. I kept hitting refresh, hoping someone would like add a viewpoint for like three days straight. <laughs> um, and, and did uh, anybody? Oh yeah, like this was like a very drawn out, stupid argument that lasted like twenty pages. It was incredible. Holy um, god, <laughs> I miss I miss the old internet in some ways. I miss the arguments you used to be able to watch unfold in like near real time like that.
1: I mean, Twitter is the closest that you can get with it. Yes, and I have seen some firestorm tweets in the last year mostly to
0: do with ufos well (laughs) uh, which is a whole other kind of uh uh topic to broach i guess Uh, maybe we could uh direct users to listen to your main baby yes our strange guys
1: podcast if you feel so inclined to do so uh i talk about ufos over there
0: so let's back it up a sec, kind of <laughs> come back to playlists versus albums. Uh, yeah. I think the model is changing, especially when we were talking about Tidal and Spotify before, right? We've had artists like Bring the Horizon indicate that their release schedule will be more piecemeal in the future as they move away from the strict album model. And like rappers and pop stars have been doing this for years too, right? Yes, 100%. So here's something weird that I don't know if you've noticed... Um, so Warner, uh, Warner Brothers is out there currently uh, slapping together digital compilations through its um, X5 music group. So basically it's a digital only label that primary that primarily licenses pre-existing music for compilation albums. So basically like if you look up certain uh, niches or sub jars on music and then you click on an artist and you go in the appears on, they're like super shittily made up covers. Um, that basically just grouped together a bunch of artists under the uh, the Warner label, uh, and then they're supposed to I don't know count towards streaming numbers as like album units. They saw what the now that's what I call music people were doing, and
1: they're like, "How can we do it lazily and shittily?"
0: I'm gonna take a screen cap of some of the ones that I've seen and probably posted on our Instagram page because it, it literally does look like clip art. So if if anyone wants to go take a look, like pick your favorite like hard rock or rock, you know, uh, uh, band. Uh, get onto Spotify, go find an artist, and then scroll down to appears on. And chances are you'll see those those shittily made covers. And uh, I want to put out a request to our listeners:
1: if you have a Title subscription and you've ever made a playlist on Title, please reach out to us. I want to know.
0: Oh yeah, let's do that. Perfect. Yeah, yeah I'm curious the number of like uh, our listeners who actually do um, pay Title that princely sum per month
1: please get at us. Uh we are the Codacast at gmail dot com and we are the Coda Podcast on Instagram and Twitter. So just please hit us with it. We need to know
0: <laughs> Um The last item in the new like the sort of like music news portion uh of this episode is the fact that Molly crew Def Leppard, uh, Joan Jan and Poison are going on tour in twenty twenty, right? Yes, they are. Um, and I, and this kind of brought up a lot of feelings in me in that, like, yes, of course, while the said they retired, then they saw the bags of money awaiting their, uh, uh, sort of like a release, uh, into their coffers, I guess, in 2020. Um, and it got kind of me thinking about the state of rock and like, what do you, future stadium acts look like? What's the pipeline from opener to headliner look like? Will it even exist in like 20 to 30 years? Like, I don't know what this looks like. And I thought I would pick your brain about this as someone who also like watches this kind of thing.
1: Let me, uh, give you an idea of how I... Saw this when I, uh, or how I thought of it when I saw it. Uh, with the exception of Joan Jett, who is a fucking amazing.
0: I saw her in 2014, middle of the afternoon at a festival, and she, dude, the energy she was giving off was incredible. Like, she was better than the band before and after her.
1: God damn. That's good to hear. I like that. I like that because the statement I'm about to make is not good. Uh, <laughs> the- <laughs> yeah, with the exception of Joan Jett,
0: this lineup reminds me of how much I hate Chuck Klosterman's Fargo Rock City. <laughs> Dude, let me um uh, have have you ever discussed our mutual dislike of of Chuck Osterman and some of his works? <laughs> no, I don't think we have. Okay, so uh um uh the documentary Metal: A Headbanger's Journey gets put out, and he's in there being quoted talking about the Kiss Army, but he has that very nasally voice. Yes, he does. So he's like, in order to join the Kiss Army, and from that moment on, I I knew I was enraged. And then, yeah, I do. I even have any of his books anymore. I think I gave them all away. Actually,
1: good for you. Good
0: for like, you. I read um, the Black Hat was just an awful book.
1: Yeah, I want to tell this story. You know, it may turn some listeners off, but that's fine. So after I read Fargo Rock City, actually I didn't finish it. It was the I got to the part where he was basically, you know, defending the sexism of that scene, and I threw it in the trash. So I went out one night drinking and was going to the bathroom and turns out there was somebody in the bathroom i don't remember who was here this week that weekend but i just ended up pissing
0: in my trash can pissed all over it <laughs>
1: <laughs>
0: yeah uh that's how i felt when i read sex drugs and cocoa puffs the chapter about 911 and radiohead do you remember that no <laughs> i've expunged that from my life oh man you got to oh you got to uh, i don't maybe i could find a copy of it like online or something and i can't believe i'm discussing this out loud but maybe i'll do that uh but it is truly some very 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 narcissistic stuff uh, which is why people like him i guess right like they enjoy personalities but even i, I how old was i i must have been like 17 or 18 when i read this book and i was just i was very angry about it and i was like this is even at 17 i was like this is this is self-involved
1: oh yeah it is oh fuck yeah but
0: <laughs> <laughs> but yeah like how do you get from opener to headliner status here in 2020
1: that's a tough call, man. That is a tough call. And who's putting together the the concerts? I mean, this is Live Nation, so this is like Live Nation's like future like business model. Hey, let's reunite bands. Let's get them together on a bill because not only did we have you know Motley Crue, Def Leppard, Joan Jett, and Poison on one, we've got Alanis Morissette, Liz Fair, and Garbage on another. We've got uh, the Black Crows back. This is all Live Nation. So, like, how, they have serious bucks that they're throwing down at these bands and saying, just come on this tour. It doesn't matter where
0: where you are in the set. And I think the, uh, the worst offender of that, of course, is KISS, right? They've been on their f- farewell tour for what, a year and a half at this point. They, they won't end for another six to eight months. So, yeah.
1: Yeah. And this isn't their first fucking farewell tour, let's be honest.
0: No. no. Uh, I saw KISS as part of a festival uh, a number of years ago, and I was like, this is patently awful. Uh, I mean, like I can enjoy the music to a certain degree, but the, it felt tired even like five years ago and which was probably 10 years too late already.
1: Yeah. Purely pushing on the nostalgia market, which if you want to go see that, that's fine. But like, I, I, I'm not a fan of kiss. I never have been a fan of kiss. Like if, if that was your thing, cool, but new blood, we need new blood. Yeah. One of my best friends in. Middle school, high school, he thought Psycho Circus was the most amazing album, and I wanted to barf. But, you know. But teen hormones are a weird thing, right? Usually, yes. But <laughs> I... What was I listening to at the time? So when I was riding my bike, I had a Walkman, and I had the essential Leonard Skinner in there, so... Uh,
0: can I just be honest? I also picture you just uh, 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 driving that bike in, like, loping long circles. Yeah. Just pleasantly enjoying the riffs.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, almost veering Not the destination. Yeah, getting lost in it, almost veering into traffic. Yeah, exactly.
0: <laughs> I love this mental image I have of you. <laughs> this is great. Uh, I would love a, an animated GIF of this, like a cartoon version of of child you just riding in a circle, enjoying, you know, Sweet Home Alabama, Give Me Three Steps, etc.
1: Oh yeah, man, uh, <laughs> Curtis Lowe. I knew who Curtis Low was.
0: I almost almost met him in traffic, you know? (laughs) I feel like every episode I learn a little bit more about you, right? So I, I feel like this is like a golden memory that I'll take in my heart and continue on.
1: I'm glad, man. I'm glad we're bonding. This is great.
0: Uh, so some kind of like good news, I guess. Um, so Tame Impala announced a new tour in twenty twenty, and they're playing the uh, biggest arena in town when they come to Montreal, which is kind of surprising. But also, uh, I hope enough people show up in order to sustain that because I, uh, while Tame Impala is not necessarily uh, my go to artist, they uh, seem to put on a great, really great show. The great, you know, uh, musicians uh, live. Um, so I don't know how uh, that translates into uh, you know an indoor arena because usually they played the the outdoor festivals here. But who knows how that goes?
1: Right, yeah, I guess we'll see. You know, Live Nation is testing out these tours and seeing how well they're going to sell, and, and they may see this as you know an emerging market in the future. Like they're they're basically testing it right now. So-
0: for sure and also like the uh the guns N' roses not in this lifetime tour is like the best grossing tour or whatever right It's made mean like half a billion dollars to this point
1: yeah maybe they saw that and they're like well there's there's money to be made here let's do it
0: let <laughs> us head on over to the main section our deep dive of episode two how does that sound sounds good man the year-end list is a time-honored tradition amongst hobbyists and obsessives. Be it sports plays, movies, or records, the notion of creating a definitive ranking of the slices of art you've enjoyed this year is almost a rite of passage for anyone who truly, really gave a shit about what's around them. Is it a bit narcissistic? Sure. Sure. In certain instances, it can feel as though you're perhaps being pruned to, but in my experience, I've definitely found way more benefit from reading, viewing, and listening to others' opinions and ideas than I have from, you know, uh, randomly deciding to look things up on the internet. That's why, unlike most folks, I wasn't annoyed at people sharing their Spotify rap results recently. I love seeing what's out there. I love seeing what people listen to, I love getting an idea of what's new and what I should be listening to. And I'm like also Rob, we are a music podcast. So the like why the hell wouldn't we want to share reviews on how this year went and what you should be listening to, right?
1: It's only natural. We got to do what is is in our
0: genes, in our blood, in the blood of this podcast that has to happen. So without further ado, friends, we're going to get into our top three albums of the year, which was no easy feat. I may have spent a lot of mental energy on this that could have otherwise gone to like any number of more like productive endeavors.
1: Uh, yeah, because I had to like Buzzfeed this thing, and I already start with ten, and then whittle it down. So yes. it was it was tough. It was tough. I think Buzzfeed has like ruined us all in in terms of creating lists. And and then we had an app for it, the list app, and nobody
0: used it. What the hell's wrong with you? It was a great app. <laughs> um. So, uh, I will, as a true gentleman, let you go through. So what you'll do is we'll each share our threes, our twos, and our ones. Does that sound good? Sounds good to me, man. So what it was number three for 2019 for you?
1: Uh, number three. So number three for me is "Walk Through Fire" by Yola. And uh, oh, okay, yeah, this um, man, it, it's easy to shelve her as a country artist because I think that's what a lot of people are doing. But she's a lot more than that, and you get a lot more than that on this album. Uh, in 2016, she debuted at the Americana Music Festival and Conference, made waves. She was calling herself Yola Carter at the time, but three years later, she finally drops Walk Through Fire. The title refers to a house that caught fire and she was actually injured in, and uh, it also references an abusive relationship that she left. So, In her voice, you can hear... Things like folk, country, soul, R&B, and gospel. And and it comes together in this really natural way. And it's almost like you're getting it all at once. The songs are distinct on this album. But her voice is emotive and vulnerable. And she's inspiring at the same time.
0: That is a great pick.
1: Yeah, just an absolute killer uh album and like if you really want what this album offers up listen to the song rock me gently holy god that's an amazing song
0: <laughs> and also we're going to be having the obligatory uh accompanying playlist to this right so people uh, don't run and turn off the podcast app wait till the end of the episode and then we'll we'll serve you the spotify link
1: yeah absolutely uh interesting interesting fact do you know who produced this album
0: uh yes one of the dudes from the black keys whose name i always forget dan auerbach yeah hell yeah okay wow okay my brain's not total trash and like i i don't
1: always like the way that dan auerbach produces albums but he fucking nailed this one man totally fucking nailed this one
0: i'm still amazed at me remembering this this is kind of i i'm Uh, proud of you (laughs) brian
1: i am so fucking proud of you dude
0: do you uh sort of like tangentially do you remember the black rock album i do I do okay. remember the Black Rock album. That it was an amazing album. I love that um, album. It had it had the best Raekwon song ever, which to this day I still laugh about. It's called Stay Off the Fucking Flowers. <laughs> yes. Um, so I think maybe we'll sneak that into the playlist if it's on streaming services, but like definitely like something that was a uh, definitely an album of like of its time.
1: Yeah, you could never do it again.
0: Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh my uh, third top album of the year is an interesting uh, kind of no brainer. If you know me, um, Freddie Gibbs mad lib bandana. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's the follow up to the Paris 2014 Cocaine Pinata album, and it, it did not disappoint. Like I was very scared, you know, when you gotta wait five years in between albums, you don't know how it's gonna go. Um, but thankfully, this was definitely worth the wait. It was, it, it came out in late June, and it was like it made the perfect uh it made for the perfect summer soundtrack right to you know while like, walking around and dealing with like humid gross air where i live in montreal where it's like very uh, urban like just hot and gross and like you know you got gangster gibbs kind of serving you the good good um i can't believe <laughs> i just said that can you cut that out of the episode nope it's uh, staying uh, in it. <laughs> <laughs> from the uh computer voiced japanese intro abrogato all the way through uh it's uh 15 tracks it's a master class in putting together a record uh without bloat you know, which in this era of streaming can also be an issue, uh, see Chris Brown's 45-song album Heartbreak on a Full Moon. <laughs> Please don't. I mean, the only downside is uh, Gibbs' anti-vaxxer line uh, in palm olive oil, but apart from that, uh, it's an all in stellar showing for a pair that I hope continues to make more music, right? So they uh, recently had an NPR Tiny Desk performance together, and it definitely shows how much uh, the two have like uh, camaraderie together, which I found really kind of cool. Um, and also something super uh, fun to note that's sort of like an AV treat for you is that uh, you should be checking out the album... Uh, And also uh, watching the Crime Pays video, which is a a video of Freddie Gibbs running a farm, uh, (laughs) which is something everyone needs to watch.
1: Yeah, man. Like, you're all about that farm life.
0: So, like, (laughs) you need to see The Gibbs farm life. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. Like, that is a show. That is definitely a TV show I would watch.
1: I would totally watch that on Vice. There you go. Let's make this happen. Yes. Uh,
0: Rob, what you got for number two?
1: Uh, so number two, um, this is where we get into the miserable, like the totally miserable <laughs> section. <laughs> My number two is Teen by Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds. Um,
0: oh. oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, so one
1: trend in the 2010s that I didn't really see coming was the grief and death albums that came out, and there were mm. a whole bunch of them. Um, albums like Sufjan Stevens, Carrie and Lowell, Mount Eerie's uh, "A Crow Looked at Me," and also you you had these albums from artists that were nearing death, like "You Want It Darker" by Leonard Cohen and "Black Star" by David Bowie. But to me, this album takes the cake, and part of the reason is that it's uh, it's length. It's over an hour and eight minutes long, but with Nick Cave, you're going to get parables, you're going to get ways that he deflects and and turns it into a story, and yet this is probably his most personal album that he's ever released. It's the first album that Nick Cave had written since the death of his son Arthur in 2015. Uh, He did put out Skeleton Tree, but it's pretty much decided that he wrote that material beforehand and just recorded it in 2016. But what you get on this album is a cinematic dream that in reality is like a waking nightmare. It's scored by a sprawling synthesizers and pianos played by Warren Ellis, and Warren Ellis is amazing those two when they do scores like they did the score for The Road, the film uh, based on Cormac McCarthy's novel, just completely amazing. The album feels like a world created by Dennis Johnson and say like Jesus son. Like it it feels right. uneasy to be in this world for a long period of time i only gave it
0: one listen because like i wasn't in the mindset to to listen to it but it definitely it's unsettling and haunting and i hate using that word because it's so broad but like it it definitely felt like you were listening to a man sort of like work through his emotions um in an interesting sort of way that you don't always get to hear um and I, i definitely a lot of questions about existentialism in the lyrics too which i thought was super interesting when i was when i sat down to listen to it
1: yeah the moments where you catch him faltering, there's a moment on a song where he goes, we checked into Room 33, well, 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 and he breaks down, and his voice just breaks down in the middle of that song. I think it's called Night Raid. It's great, great, great fucking song. The most devastating track on this album is a, is a track called Ghost Teen Speaks, and essentially, you know, this is meant to be it's almost like the 4th of July of this album it's his son and it's it's his son trying to reach out to him and he keeps saying over and over again I am beside you look for me and it's uh, oh man <laughs> oh man um, the centerpiece of this album is the last song it's a song called Hollywood it's a 14 minute sprawling come to term moment that he has that Arthur's gone, I'm still here, but he still has to acknowledge that he has to deal with this somehow, and like it's probably the most honest portrayal of grief that I have ever seen in this song, and it ends with Nick Cave saying over and over again, it's a long way to go to find peace of mind. And it's just Yeah, that that that's what you get with Ghostine. It's an
0: amazing album. Uh, you should probably only listen to it once. Yeah. Which is what I did. And then like, I, I need to be in a certain place if, if ever I want to go back. Right. So mm-hmm. yeah, I'm glad that you highlighted that one. Yeah. I, uh Yeah. Fuck. <laughs> uh, my number two, and it is something that I know you would have never picked based on the fact that it is, uh, a little outside of your, your regular wheelhouse, but it's a, it's a record called esoteric oppression by uh, a band called the moth gatherer. Right. So this is the record tool wishes they would have made. um, so this is a Swedish progressive sludge band, and it brings the goods. Five tracks, forty-three minutes, very loud, uh, very quiet, uh, very interesting intervals. The record drips with a lot of like atmospheric tension. So the rocking parts rip really hard, and the album rewards you with interesting little like sonic decisions that you pick up the more you listen to it. Um, you know, if you listen to the opener, Drone Kingdom, it builds up slowly for the first like five minutes, and then like the guitars hit you, and they're just droning and they're there and they're present and you have a winner so uh highlight for me is the third track utopia definitely the place to start if this interests you at all but definitely like an album that i kept returning to um i'm not a huge fan of like really really long songs like i have this rule with my coworker when he recommends me new music it has to be like usually under an hour unless i make an exception for it um so uh at 43 minutes like it was just everything I ever wanted out of something louder and bigger uh, that also had like very beautiful moments in it too it got quiet um it's 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 so wonderful as a concept.
1: It sounds wonderful. I'm gonna have to listen to that now, seeing as how it's not generally in my <laughs> wheelhouse. You've put it in such
0: good terms that I, I'm I'd be comfortable super interested it. to hear your thoughts. So, uh, episode three, I'd like you to ret- like. I will go listen. <laughs> uh, maybe, maybe not. I'll go listen to like the Nick Cave album again, and then like I'll just be a real sad bastard like for the entirety of the next episode. Are you sure you really want to put yourself through that? Well, you know what, the holidays are coming up. That's always like a fun, fun time, right? So. <laughs>
1: I mean, <laughs> the holidays do have their depressing side, so, yeah, that's, that's if you really yeah, want to deal with that, go
0: for it. Just get, get the Jim Bean and the Nick Cave going, you're fine. It's a perfectly classic combination of things to do. I mean, I've got some albums coming up that
1: I know you've never heard of and that I really think you yes. should check out, so. Excellent. That's exactly why we're here, right? Yeah, so Yeah, 100%. Uh,
0: Rob, what was your uh, top album of 2019? My top
1: album of 2019. Norman fucking Rockwell by Lana Del Rey, and I can't believe I'm fucking saying that. I cannot believe I'm saying that right now, okay? So, full stop, and I'm going to make a confession here. I've always considered Lana Del Rey a local artist. She grew up in the next town over from me, and uh, I've used this poll before, but I'm pretty sure that I bought the first CD that she ever made. Like, sold the first copy to me. uh, Really? Yeah. Um, In 2006... She cut some demos in the studio in Lake Placid under the name Mae Jailer. And I'm going to describe to you the, the package that I received in the mail in 2006. So it's a small package. I open it up. It's a CD. It went, it's a CDR. She burned it, which was great. I loved it. You got played. Yeah. I, uh, but there is a letter in there. And I'm going to have to track it down, and I'm going to post it on social media when I can track it down. Because, uh, man, to see where she has gone and where she's come from is, is like, this incredible transformation.
0: So the, the mind-blowing thing is you picked an album with a Sublime cover as your album of the year. Yeah, I know. It's very weird, man. It's fair. Very- also, like, but I do love that interpretation of doing time, so I, I can definitely understand that. Uh, what a great pick. Yeah, I, yeah damn
1: here's another thing i actually traded comments with her on myspace back in the day oh it, it wasn't a, like bajillion times that we went to each other's you know walls and left something but we we exchanged a few messages
0: okay okay uh, um so if you had to highlight one track off there that wasn't the sublime cover because i know that's your go-to let's be honest uh what would you suggest someone listen to you to start with
1: Probably happiness is a butterfly if you really want the full depressed, love, ache, breakup kind of energy. Because it has one of the most brutal lines in an album like this. Uh, If he's a serial killer, then what's the worst thing that can happen to a girl that's already hurt? (laughs) That is... Uh, Yeah, that is something else. And I mean, like... (laughs) So, this album ends with, I think, one of the most powerful lyrics... That I've heard on an album all year, and it's hope is a dangerous thing for a woman like me to have. And, like, that is such a... Man, that is such a... Like, I, I don't have the requisite body parts to put that into to context, but if you can't draw something greater from that lyric, mm. man, oh man, you're out of the times, and, like... I can't put it into words, but I know a lot of people can put it into words and you can put it into a larger context of the world that we live in, the violence that women are subjected to and the, the, the wage gap and all that. And it's in that one line. Right. And, uh, yeah. So sad bastard me. That's my number one pick.
0: What is the, the name of the really long song on there? Like the nine and a half minute one. Oh, um, yeah. A, a, a Venice Bitch. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Uh, uh, and that had come out some months prior, because I remember listening to it like three or four times and not even feeling the passage of time as it happened, uh, which is a true testament to a good song, because I get really annoyed after five minutes sometimes.
1: <laughs> right. If if a song can, like, it's not just a long-ass instrumental part. If it's not emoting itself, then you're just there along for the ride. Which, yeah. Which, um, you know, there there are great songs, man, that just bring you in like Reach Down by Temple the Dogman. I could listen to that solo all day long. All day freaking long.
0: See, you can make a TikTok out of that.
1: (sighs) Brian, come on, man. I don't, (laughs) don't do this to me.
0: Uh, Fair enough. That is a super solid pick that I think everyone should go check out. My album of the year actually shares a connection with your album of the year. Oh, does it? They share the majority, uh, uh, the person who's produced most of the album, Jack Antonoff. My album of the year, surprisingly enough, is Taylor Swift's Lover.
1: What what's happening? What is happening? Your co-host is going to maul you Rick,
0: on on Double Density, <laughs> okay. you know, let me I, that is fine. Let me break down what it is about it that I like so much. Okay. Right. So also like stats wise, I have seen that I, most of the songs are pretty much in the top 20 of like the most listened to songs of my year. Um, so like while her last album reputation sort of like teetered on the brink of uh, pop excess and sort of came off really soulless in its execution, I feel like, uh, Taylor Swift righted the ship with this one. Uh, it's like the Megazord of Taylor Swift albums, really. Like she borrows liberally from her past successes, right? So like the, um, uh, the sort of like uh, grandiose, uh, well-produced pop of me and you need to calm down that harken back to reputation, the title track, right? Which is a great ballad. Uh, and then, like, down top oh, uh, like, Country Jason songs, like, uh, Soon You'll Be Better with the Dixie Chicks. Like, there's a little bit of everything here. And I found it to be a very strong collection all the way through. It doesn't even feel like there's a stinker in the bunch. And I tried to find myself uh, trying to rank the songs and how bad they were. And I couldn't really outline a, a really, really bad one, right? Because she took out that stupid... Um, uh, uh, counting is fun line right from me for the album version that she said in the middle of the bridge yeah. um, in the yeah. single version. And it's hard. It's really hard to want to find something bad about this album. Even though I understand it is perfectly manufactured, et cetera, et cetera, but I am one of those people who believes that you take something at its merits, right? So, to me, for a pop album, it kind of fires on all cylinders. Uh, a lot of the songs I didn't even realize I knew all the words to till I sat down to sort of like make this list and go through uh, a lot of what I listened to this year, and like suddenly, like half the lyrics are ingrained in my brain somehow. That's the power of Taylor Swift,
1: man. That is what Taylor Swift does. But I think what's great about this album is that. As opposed to reputation where Taylor Swift was trying to convince you that it was Taylor Swift singing these songs. So every now and then on a song, she would throw in this flourish to, to make you realize, no, this was me. This is what I did a few years ago. Or this is Taylor Swift. Don't, don't forget I'm here. Yeah, I'm bitter right now, but I'm Taylor Swift. And then I think with this latest album, I think she channeled all that good shit into a really solid record.
0: I agree, and that's the thing, is that in listening to this it felt a lot more sincere, even though, yes, I once again understand it as a pop record. Uh, it felt a lot more sincere and uh, in line with who I believe her to be at this moment too, right? Versus a Reputation, which felt more, like, cobbled together in a boardroom and then assembled and then pushed out.
1: Yeah, 100%. And I mean, like, Taylor Swift's a good songwriter. Like, we can, yeah. we can, we can just fucking acknowledge that. She's, Fully. She's a damn good songwriter, and, like, regardless of how you like your production on an album... These are a really solid set of songs, so yeah, you can't knock so, her. Yeah, you can't knock her for that. If anything, maybe you can knock her for some production choices, but there are no yeah, bad songs on this
0: no that's more so of a, a secondary kind of thing i think too um and what i look for for this kind of music right so i think that like for me that definitely um hit the mark uh continually um so rob i gave you a little bit of homework you know when we were setting up episode two so we did top three of 2019 and then i wanted to sort of like pick your brain about two other albums you felt were overlooked by the public and or the music press in 2019 and sort of like highlight what they are mm-hmm. so d- what would be your first choice Brian, if I
1: told you that there was an artist this year who whose debut album was a concept album, would you believe
0: me? I would. And now I'm super intrigued to see where this goes. Okay. So go on.
1: Do you remember i uh, 3 or 4 years ago when Brandy Clark came out with Big Day in a Small Town? Yes. What was great about that album is like it, it gave you this picture of the small town through all these little these people's lives. And I'm like I always wanted to go back to something like that cuz that is one of the best albums of the decade. And I got that. There's uh an uh, an album called There Goes the Neighborhood it's by an artist named Jenny Tolman and on this she brings us to a fictional town called Jennyville <laughs> and there are and 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 what's great is there are many roads to Jennyville like you see this world through a lot of most primarily women's eyes which which is great and there's a lot of perspectives you get the um there there's a song called My Welcome Mat which is this inviting song that Highlights everybody that's welcome there, and it's like everybody that's welcome there. She doesn't care who you are; you're welcome to this to this damn town. It's it's fantastic. There's and one of those uh, other women's songs that you know country music has made famous for years. Like the mo- probably the most famous one is the "Jolene" by Dolly Parton. But uh, there's this song about this woman who wants to be upset at this other woman, but she's too pretty, which is you know a really interesting. Uh, comment And uh, <laughs> one of my favorite lyrics of this year comes from this album. And it's <laughs> and it goes, when you want to have champagne taste
0: on a natty light budget. <laughs> what an interesting pick. I, I haven't actually listened to it, so I think I definitely have to walk uh, around. If I, I have one
1: gripe with this album, it is too damn short for a concept record. It's oh. only 33 minutes, but... What's cool about it is like yes you're getting it through the perspective of all these women there's there's great sound effects used really well in these songs there's also commercials in them that are really well done so okay
0: okay now you're just yeah. you're just winning me over here uh very much so so I need to check this out definitely yeah
1: you you do so Brian what what's
0: your first choice here <sighs> A band called Dinosaur Pileup an album called Celebrity Mansions Oh god damn uh- <laughs> so I would describe this band as one of the greatest acts to ever grace radio circa 2002, even though this album came out this year. Um, uh, Celebrity Mansions brought enough energy that they could have single handedly scored like an entire CKY tape all to <laughs> themselves if they had to. Nice. Um, the production on it has this like really weird kind of very clean flat feel that actually works for the music, um, which is really weird because usually I'm not a huge fan of something that sounds so um, uh, overtly produced. Um it's also strange because uh, they're English yet they've kind of cornered the like the 2001 2002 like active rock aesthetic um and they're definitely on the lower tier of acts getting booked for fests in the world uh next year but they have this like weird crossover appeal where they can be booked on one of those like danny wimmer fests like aftershock or carolina rebellion and then also get booked at like governor's ball austin city limits or lollapalooza and i would highlight uh probably the most successful cut which uh got some play on american radio it's a song called backfoot and if you listen to that and you don't feel like you're playing tony hawk's pro skater i don't know (laughs) what to tell you i i don't know what to tell you dude
1: I, I'm feeling the, my nostalgia bone and it's just, you know, ringing right now, man. I love it.
0: I I also played it for some friends. Uh, we were, um, on a car ride and they, they're both in their mid thirties and they're all flipping their shit over this because uh, like me, I was like, this is like the perfect lost album, um, from another man who could have also done really well at Warped Tour where it's still to be around. Yes. So I'm really hoping to, and they also recently opened up for Sum 41 and the Offspring, which I feel is like almost perfect for them. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh so yeah so that's uh that it would be um my first pick so Rob will be your second pick. I talked about this uh album on our first
1: episode. Uh it was my recommendation but uh of Sound Mind by Lydia Liza. It's an album that I keep repeat playing. I keep thinking about um and part of it is just how dynamic it is, how she's able to uh, balance these really rip rockin' songs with these, you know, more downbeat, low-key songs. Um, she could be loud, she could be quiet, and it all sounds like it fits. She has a song called Crowin' a Branch, which features an artist uh, named uh, Justin Courtney Pierre, And it makes you want to sing along with it you don't know the lyrics at first but you want to sing along with it and then on the other side of that there is a song called he should know by now and like the way that she exalts on that song it just you, you can feel the heartache it feels like mm. it, it, if i had to compare it to a song it would be similar to jeff buckley's lover you should have come over it's it's that Great, that, And that is no small endorsement there. No, um, and she's been compared to singer-songwriters like that before. The one thing I, I think that has really stuck with me is the cover. And if you Google, I'll put the cover up on uh, our social media, but uh, if you look at the cover, it is it's like a severed, I don't want to say doll, but that's probably the best thing I can relate it to, a severed doll's head on some grass. It's a beat up face and it looks like it's trying to scream and yet it can't. And I have been thinking about that album cover for a while now and (laughs) I don't think I'll ever be able to get it out of my head, but uh, I think Lydia Liza is probably one of the, best singer songwriters that i've seen come along in the last few years and i can't wait to see where her career goes from here she's going to be releasing an album with our friend big cats i believe in 2020 early 2020 so well then yes uh you know things are looking up things are looking great uh definitely check out of Unsound mind by lydia eliza great album
0: so my second overlooked album of the year is actually the only place where I was worried that you and I would have some crossover. We had doubled up the album. I want to talk about is the better Oblivion community center, self-titled album. Mm-hmm. Uh, the album dropped very early this year, uh, or uh, mid January. And I thought it was an ideal time to capture minds and hearts. And, uh, you know, uh, and while I've seen the Conor Oberst and Phoebe Bridges album get listed on a bunch of, like, the bottom end of, like, a like a top 50 or a top 100, I felt like it should have been higher just based on the track Dylan Thomas Alone, which is fucking incredible. Yeah, it
1: is a fucking incredible um, song,
0: yeah. Which I'm just like, I think there's much more acclaim there than they need. So I don't know, like, if it missed the mark with Too Many People Too Early uh did they not tour enough you know like i understand that Connor's not the household name he once was with bright eyes but there's still a cache of fans who love him uh phoebe brings her own um you know people to the table so i don't understand why this isn't being talked more at the end of the year because um, i've seen myself return to it uh, uh a number of times this year and enjoyed it just as much every time so i i don't know why it didn't hit the market it was supposed to um i guess it's like one of those big mysteries this year
1: i think a lot of the early albums that get released, they almost get lost in the shuffle because I saw Solange's album get lost in the shuffle for a few lists, and I'm like, what are you talking about? That album is great. Like, it's just like riding around fucking Houston. Are you kidding me? Yeah. It's a great fucking <laughs> album.
0: Oh, also something to mention. This is a concept album, right? Yes. I mean, loosely conceptual, so, you know, uh, letting some cranes to your, your love and I guess my love, too, of, of concept albums right here.
1: Dude, man, I, I love concept albums so much. I love living in a world for a period of time, and you can't go wrong. We need
0: more concept albums. Like, come on, people. Start making them. Start making them again. Do you know who Prince Paul is? Like, the producer? Yes. Yeah. Okay, so he put out a uh, a record uh, called The Prince Among Thieves, and uh, it is incredible. You should listen to it. It has a really weird <laughs> song where Everlast plays a cop. What? Yeah, it's called The Men in Blue and the like it's just it's insane. And uh I, I'll send a link to you uh and everyone I guess after this. But yeah. It is something else. Like it's just it's kinda of like this incredible uh, concept album about this like young MC who uh uh needs to get money in order to go uh meet the RZA, I think is is how it goes. I'll have to look up. It. It's it's one of the members of Wu Tang and I think it's the RZA. and like it it goes through his like day and it's incredible. Um and yeah, and it also involves Everlast being a cop. So like even better. This is
1: the most amazing sounding thing i've heard yeah. in
0: quite a while. Yeah. <laughs> so i'll definitely uh, have to uh hook you up with that so uh the last bit of year-end wrap-up we're gonna do here is an album recommendation from 2019 that's out of left field and i kind of left that intentionally vague because i was kind of curious to see what you bring to the table
1: mm-hmm. and um man i don't know how you're gonna take this one i don't i don't <laughs> so um full stop As long as you don't say Tool. uh, No, I'm not going to say Tool. Get get fucking Tool out of here. All right, right. we decided that early on. Tool made a, a really mediocre, boring album. And if that offends people, I'm not sorry. Like... It is what I don't understand
0: why everyone is blowing their loads on this Tool album, putting it at the top of all these like rock album of the year, these metal album of the year lists. I don't understand it. The only decent track the last one, and only the last half of the last track is any good. Who gives a shit about Tool and their new output? Because everyone's so excited about the fact that there is a new album, they haven't actually sat down and listened to it, you know?
1: Yeah. No. It, it, I have
0: a lot of vitriol for Tool. I apologize. Yeah. I, just,
1: I think we both do, man. Like, yeah. As time... Yeah, yeah. As yeah. as time has gone on, we have you know it, it, we're tired of like seven year waits for albums. Like that was so like nineties into the two thousands. We're done with that shit. Okay.
0: Also, I feel like like Tool has allowed a certain kind of neck beard to rise yes. and like become an adult. Yes. And this is where we're at right now, right? So like, there's a lot of vitriol about Tool. Uh, fear inoculum sucks. I'm sorry, guys. If you feel a certain way about Fear inoculum, <clears throat> uh code a podcast. You know, on Twitter, IG. Uh uh Kodakast, you know, just go ahead and, and let us know uh how you want to defend tool, because I would love to have that conversation. Yeah. Like we'll keep it civil. You keep it civil, we'll be good. And with that, Rob, I sorry I railroaded you. So your left field <laughs> of twenty nineteen. So
1: as you know, I I'm not a huge metal fan. I don't like a lot of metal. And that's mostly because like uh, a lot of metal today seems to be like screaming in my face, and I don't like that. Mm. Um I am one that likes his lyrics and I like to be able to understand them. But don't say fucking tool. Nah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the beaten switch. Uh, yeah. But sometimes I want to rock out. Sometimes I want something new. And uh, you know, I was perusing some lists and I'm like, oh, okay, I gave this I'll give this album a shot.
0: Um, and that album is Crux by Moontooth. Um, funnily enough, I was literally Having this conversation with a friend of mine this afternoon about how great that album is it's fucking amazing man it's so good it is so fucking amazing it's hooky as fuck the vocals dude, are fantastic dude, it's uh, yeah I'm so glad you brought this one up, yes because I recently only like in the last like a month after my friend's urging listen to this album it is incredible it like, is so good it is uh the musicianship of this band is just so fucking amazing it's like
1: it's kind of like high on fire fucking level musicianship but like really melodic fucking solos left and right top-notch fucking songs and it is the perfect bridge between like the modern rock and the emo of the mid two thousands, like it is like the perfect fucking bridge for that. I loved this album. I I fucking smiled like a giddy goddamn child when I listened to it.
0: <laughs> it's so funny because I had the exact same reaction to it. So I'm glad to hear we're not alone. And there's probably a lot of people out there who uh, feel the same way. So I'm man, okay. I'm so happy to hear this. I'm glad you're happy, man. Because I I know. Like, it's not
1: easy to share a love of music with someone and know that they don't like metal.
0: Like Yeah, no but the thing is that you are respectful which I think is the basis of any good uh, you know musically related French lip I I said French lip that was a bit odd I think it's also because (laughs) of my uh, top top overlooked album of the year which we'll get to in a sec but uh, yeah I I very much enjoy the album I hope everyone gives it a shot my uh, my left field pick of the year is a uh, Quebec rap album called uh, Dead all caps by the Dead Obies Uh, and it is a rap album both in English and French it is a mind-melting experience it's the rap crew you didn't know you wanted to listen to and the beats that drive it to almost like a deity level status it's another album that came out really early this year in january that kind of actually had legs in my home province of quebec it still sells regularly similarly there's another rapper named loud and he also uh, put an album in may called toussa pousse and also kicked ass but that's mostly french i would definitely definitely even if you don't speak any french at all I'd encourage you to actually sit down and listen to it for a bit um it's it's an experience my friend it is uh, uh commercial rap with a lot of artistic sensibilities to it that also works in both languages and it's a weird experience to people outside of this province who don't speak french but it also i've seen a lot of people online internationally kind of glob onto it too it's it's the weirdest thing
1: i am intrigued and i'm going to listen to it now like yeah i think for a lot of people especially to like an american audience like they're gonna say oh french speaking and they're gonna be like, nah, I don't want to pick it up. But, but this is
0: hard. The, uh, it's, if they're bringing it hard, you have the the obligation <laughs> to fucking listen. Like the first track is called "Oh Boy," and if you're not hooked by that track, I don't listen to the album. But I think that a lot of people would buy into it, right? And I think if you're willing uh, a- enough to sort of like give it the leeway it needs, you might find yourself actually liking some of it while only understanding probably. Forty to fifty percent of it, let's say
1: listen, you don't always need to understand what they're saying,
0: and so you, you and don't... I think that's a that's an entire episode unto itself, I think for you and I because I think you and I both have records or, or bands that we listen to that <laughs> English isn't the first language at all
1: no no d- d- definitely and like i I mean my uh my heritage, the metal from my uh from Norway, which I am like thirty Thirty-four percent Scandinavian at this point. Um, you know,
0: I like how it's a it's, it's a it's a smidge above a third,
1: just a smidge, just 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 slightly, just slightly. So, like, yeah, it's in it's in my blood. I have I have to love it. <laughs> um,
0: all right, Rob, uh, uh, let us head into the last section of uh, the last episode of twenty nineteen, which is weird to say because it's also only the, the second. second <laughs> And finally, we have the last section of episode two of the, uh, the Coda podcast. Uh, what are we? We're Coda casters, according to Angelo, right? Yes. Yes, that is correct. So I feel it's kind of strange to give a recommendation, which is what we do during the B-side side of things. But I, I'm also, like, okay with it. Uh, given the fact that like I want to highlight something that isn't necessarily like, the best of the year, but it's something that I definitely listen to uh, consistently for uh, about the month and change since it came out. So, uh, Rob, what do you have on your B-side recommendation list?
1: I've got something that's a little bit old. It's over a decade old at this point. Oh, okay. Uh, sometimes when I just can't think of what I want to listen to, I will listen to these two albums, and they are the two albums that Deer in the Headlights put out. Oh! Uh, Yeah, in 2007, they released... An alternative pop rock masterpiece called Small Steps, Heavy Hooves, and then followed it up with an even better album called Drunk Like Bible Times.
0: Yo, shout Equal Vision Records. Yes,
1: Equal Vision Records.
0: I feel like you and I have had a, like a very sustained discussion about Equal Vision Records in the past, maybe. I, I've had a friend who's been on Equal Vision Records. <laughs> oh, okay. So, <laughs> um, But that is a, that is a, a great twofer, actually. Uh, a band I haven't checked out probably in a decade by now. So uh, I will definitely go back and, and re- revisit those two.
1: Well, yeah, it, it was so weird, like, when they put their album out, because here's a band releasing something that could be played on, like, a pop rock station or an alternative station, and yet they're on a label that's uh, with, uh, you know, The Fall of Troy, Portugal Demand, Pierce the Veil, you had bands like Fallout Boy, Under Oath, and stuff like that, <laughs> and then there's this band called Deer in the Headlights, they got a punny-ass fucking name, and... They put out this just really fucking two two incredible albums in a row, and then they break up, and like my my heart breaks for them to get back together, and I know it'll never happen, but it's cool that uh, I I believe it was last. At least you have a
0: a literal record of of who they were, right?
1: Yeah, exactly, and. It was last year that they actually put these two albums out on vinyl so you can go and buy them. And yes, it was expensive because uh, I don't know uh, if you knew this or not. There were actually very limited run vinyl releases of um, Small Steps Heavy Hooves. And I, did not. I almost got my hands on one that somebody had in England. I almost paid four hundred and fifty dollars for it. That's how much I love the <laughs> album. Uh,
0: was this done through Discogs? Uh, no, no. That no, okay. Okay. I, I which is which is a whole like draw unto itself. I have certain friends who are obsessives and like do all of their tracking on there and all of their buying and selling on there, and it is. Uh, a dedication I wish I had to a singular craft of of uh, music uh, collection in a physical world.
1: Yeah, I wish I was that devoted. Uh, I almost bought a. Thank
0: I, God! Thank God you waited.
1: Yeah, um, I almost got a. It was on green vinyl. Um, it was a copy from England, I do believe. But
0: yeah. So, a tangential question in that case: uh, What is the most you've ever paid for a vinyl record? Or uh, like a box set or something.
1: Um, I the most I've ever paid is about sixty dollars, and okay, it was. Uh, a Korean copy of Shake Your Money Maker. (laughs) Ooh! (laughs) Because at the time, uh, they didn't have any albums really out on vinyl. You couldn't find an American copy of Shake Your Money Maker to save your life, and then approximately six months after I bought that, they reissued their albums on fucking vinyl, and, you know...
0: You must have been so excited to see that news. Um,
1: yeah. (laughs) Shaking your fist. I mean, I did buy Southern Harmony and Musical Companion after that, but I'm like you know what this Korean copy this, I'm gonna own this shit it's Korean it's got like this uh insur- in this green insert that's all in Korean and I'm like it's a it's a language tool now great fantastic
0: that's dope yes I uh I once purchased so uh, the band neurosis right sort of like the the experimental post-rock metal etc sort of um uh, group uh uh, put out a box set of all of their uh, albums up till that date which was like a massive like 12 or 13 uh, vinyl like box set. and I think I paid like three and four bucks. Like this was back when I was like stupid with money and I had just gotten a job and I was like, you know what? Rent's cool but buying this box set is also cool. <laughs> yes. um, so I barely made it to r- making it through rent as well as owning a Neurosis, neurosis box set uh, which is, you know, it's fine. I'll live with it. Um, <laughs> but man, I am so glad you do not pay... <laughs>
1: i i know man i oh man and you're talking to a guy that recently paid 280 for a first edition copy of uh, a ufo book
0: (laughs) (laughs) but you know what you're in your 30s you're comfortable with certain things you know and that sometimes is you know treat yourself treat
1: yourself It's also autographed, so so, there.
0: Oh, well, there you go. My pick uh, for uh, uh, this episode is a uh, band called Lionheart, an album called Valley of Death, and it is the best... 24 minutes of tough guy hardcore. You're going to need to get through the holidays. <laughs> uh, it came out middle of November and it slaps. There's a song about snitches and how he, the singer like names the snitch, but it gets bleeped out. And how if he ever sees him again, he's going to get dealt with. It is. I need to send you the lyrics, Rob. It is incredibly uh, like in character for a tough guy hardcore record.
1: I oh fuck man, this is this is so fucking hardcore. It's fucking bringing it. I love it. We're <laughs> we're 2019 brought it fucking hardcore, man. And that sounds fucking amazing.
0: So we're sort of closing things off here for, you know, episode two of the the Dakota podcast. I feel like uh, it's the end of something, but also the beginning. It's the weirdest feeling to talk about your endless on a second episode of a podcast that we know is going to go far into the future.
1: Yeah, it's it's going to make me feel like maybe uh, guilt, uneasiness, maybe a bit of nausea. I'm not sure. But like <laughs> the the sky's the limit here. I think it's a bold choice to do a year end list on episode two, and I think the audience is going to respond to that. they're gonna love it, and they're gonna
0: stick with us forever. I hope so too uh so uh I'm putting you on the spot here, yeah, if you could make one prediction for music in twenty twenty what would it be?
1: The Black Crows are going to finish that fucking tour.
0: They're going to fucking do oh, it. They're going to get through it. They're going to get right, through okay. it.
1: That's my You prediction. also have
0: like a financial incentive to, to, to suggest that because the fact that you have tickets to a Black Crow show in July.
1: Listen, the money's good. It's, it's, it's being thrown at them. They're going to get through this, Brian. They're going to get through this.
0: Four words for you for my prediction of the year. Yeah. For 2020. Yeah. New Wave, Billie Eilish. That's the new record. New Wave. Out. Oh, shit. I'm putting it, it out there putting it out there we'll see how that goes
1: that that's fucking bold man that is fucking <laughs> bold i am here for it 2020 is going to fucking rock um rob where can people find us uh if you want to get into contact with us uh email us the codacast at gmail.com we are the coda podcast on instagram and twitter so reach out Tell us what some of your favorite albums of the year were. Tell us if you think our choices were bullshit, and then we will put you (laughs) down for it. But I will fight you about Tool friends, or ex-friends, I guess, at this point. We we will fight you, tooth and nail, about Tool. Yes. Yes, we will. Tooth and nail. Also a record label.
0: (laughs) In the same vein as Equal Vision, <laughs> like, except it, it, it's a Christian, right? It's a Christian <laughs> like metalcore. Yeah, like, you know what? Remember? Instead yeah.
1: of instead of just bringing it total hardcore, we'll bring it like Anne Berlin. You know, brought it rocking. But you know what? Sensitive voice. We got a sensitive voice.
0: Oh, what is your favorite Anne Berlin track? I feel like we can't end this podcast because we just keep touching on things that we love.
1: Uh, my favorite Anne Berlin track. It's a B side. It's called "The Haunting," and I love it.
0: I'm gonna be super basic. I'm gonna pick "Feel Good Drag." <laughs> <laughs> Super basic. You fucking basic bitch. <laughs> I know it's uh, yes. I, I'm an Amberlin basic bitch. <laughs> right. Exactly I coming. want you to change your Twitter your Twitter name to Amberlin <laughs> basic bitch. All right. I'm gonna. I'm definitely gonna do that after this episode. Because <laughs> clearly, uh, we're gonna see where this goes. <laughs> Rob, this has been episode two of the CODA Podcast, right? Yes. I hope.
1: It has. It hasn't. Been and as a, always, it hasn't been a oh, fever sorry. dream. It hasn't been a fever dream. <laughs> I can assure you.
0: And uh, and as always, everyone out there, uh, keep the cancel.